0: the following is a ca original the mighty sound of the south tailgating on tiger lane tom three at the liberty bowl each one a memphis football tradition this is the tiger football podcast
1: what's happening tiger football fans we are back for a jam-packed edition of the tiger football podcast uh So much to talk about. Uh, We've got a new coach. We've got early signing day. We've got the Cotton Bowl. Um, So we're going to get into all of that here. I'm Mark Giannato, the Commercial Appeal Sports Columnist. I'm joined by Evan Barnes, our Tiger football beat writer. Jason Munns, our podcast producer and Tiger basketball beat writer, is also here. Uh, The Ryan Silverfield Era has begun. Uh, Ryan Silverfield has been hired to replace Mike Norvell as the Memphis football coach. So he will not only coach the Cotton Bowl here uh, on December 28th, he will lead the program into the future. Um, And there's a lot of uh, things to break down, I guess, if you will, in terms of the hire uh, and what it means going forward, what it means for the Cotton Bowl, what it means for early signing day. So I'll just. I'll send it over to you, Evan. What What do you make of the hire? What do you, what do you think?
0: Well, if you would ask me, if we talked about this after the first presser he did. I thought he made a case, but I hope that they went out and they searched for everyone they needed to to make sure this job got filled by the right person. After that press conference Friday, I feel like it made sense in the short term. This is a great hire. The players loved him. Um, I went to the awards banquet yesterday for the team. Or this is we're recording this on Monday, and you know went to the awards banquet Sunday. He got a standing ovation. Ryan Tuerfield did. So it's the popular pick. But my question is, we'll see what happens in the offseason season once the coaching situation, once the staff fills out and everything. But overall, it seems like it's a good hire and it made sense. The players love them. It keeps the transition smooth. But we'll see what happens as you know this proves this goes on.
1: Yeah. No, I've been playing. I guess maybe devil's advocate on this. I probably am. I'm probably a little. I, I think. I think there's a good chance Ryan Silverfield is successful because of the foundation that's been laid for him. Because he knows how Mike Norvell ran the program. He's recruited for this school before. Um, obviously, he's he's recruited a lot of the big players on this team. He's set up to succeed. So in that regard, it is a good hire. I probably I'm probably a little more lukewarm than others, just because I think if you look at his credentials, like take out your take off your blue tinted glasses for a second, and and I think the blue tinted glasses though are part of this. Like it's not to say that like the fact that he's been here, the fact that he's be, he's been an integral part of Mike Norvell's death, I think that is. Not something to just completely disregard in the grand scheme of things. But if we're being honest with ourselves, if you look at his resume, he's not a candidate who would probably be considered for many head coaching jobs right now. the The last four years at Memphis were his last; his only four years as a position coach at the D one or NFL levels. Before before that. He had been assistant to the assistant, or a consultant, or an analyst. Um, so, in that regard, Memphis is taking a chance here by by hiring him. At the same time, and I do think they I do think they look nationally. We know Barry Odom was a candidate. There were some other names out there. I think I think we've heard. You know, they may have talked to Joe Brady from LSU. Um, and I, I, do, I believe them when they say they look nationally and that Ryan quote unquote won the job. And so that's good news um, because it was really I, I found his press co- I found his press conference on Friday accepting the job. I thought that was better than his pr- like everyone made a big deal about his press conference the previous Sunday when he got the interim tag. I loved the raw emotion of his press conference on Friday. Like you want that guy to succeed. That's 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 I think the best part of the hire is like he's just he's got a great story and you hope he succeeds because just because he hasn't had the glitzy title doesn't mean he hasn't worked his tail off to get to this position and you could see how much it meant to him. ...to get this job. And so you hope he succeeds. Um, But I do wonder... um, I I wrote this in a column. The hire was made because this is continuity. This can continue what Norvell did um, as coach. And I guess. But I think we're... I think to just think Ryan Silverfield is going to continue what Mike Norvell did is kind of disregarding like that Mike Norvell was a special guy. And for Ryan to, to have the success Mike Norvell had, Ryan is going to have to um There's going to, he's going to have to be, he can't just be Mike Norvell. He's got to be, I want to know what Ryan Silverfield is. Like I asked him a question at the press conference. What does a Ryan Silverfield program look like? And his answer was just kind of some generic stuff and like, you know, whatever. In a press conference, you you know, he's not going to get into the specifics, but what do the specifics look like? Who are his coordinators going to be? Because you know, he's going to have to hire an offensive coordinator and he's going to have to hire a defensive coordinator. And from the, from what it seems like in the bowl game where he said yesterday that Kevin Johns is going to call the plays in the yeah. bowl game, his offensive coordinator, whether it's Kevin Johns or someone else, is going to play a bigger role than the offensive coordinator did under Mike Norvell. And so there's just, there's just there, when you hire someone like Ryan Silverfield, yes, you're getting the continuity – but you're also there's also to me there's some very real questions um, about how he's going to succeed you know what is he exactly going to do now that being said those very same questions would have been there if you hired the more experienced traditional guy in Barry Odom, and they'd be there if you hired the hotshot coordinator or uh, hotshot assistant like joe brady so i'm not saying he's uh, i actually do think putting back the blue tinted glasses because, like, I don't think you can just disregard all of the support that Ryan Silverfield had in the community, had with the players, had with some well-known boosters. You can't just disregard that, and when, I think, when you looked at it, whether it was Barry Odom or Joe Brady or some of these other, you know, Will Healy or some someone like that, those guys weren't you, those guy one of those guys was going to have to wow the Memphis administrators, whether Laird Veach, the board, you know, the guys on the search committee from the board, and, and I don't think they did. And so to, to beat Ryan, I'm saying,
2: yeah. The question in my mind is: so we know Ryan. Silverfield. So I just, so what
1: I what I just want to finish. I think I think for right now in this moment, even though Ryan Silverfield's credentials, when you look at them on the surface don't just scream this guy should be the head coach. I actually think he was probably the least risky hire for them, the safest hire for them to make in this moment with where the program
2: is. But the question so let's just ask the question now, is it I mean, is now the right time to be safe? Is now the right time to play it safe like that?
1: Well, the question I have for Memphis fans is, you know, like at the press conference on Friday, they kept talking this is this is the guy, like, I think I think David Rudd said, this is the guy who can, you know, continue our progress, take us, you know, there were, like, lots of cliches about, you know, taking us to the next level, you know, continue this direction. Like, how much further up can this program go? I mean, they're, like, they're, they just went 12-1 and yeah. and are going to the Cotton Bowl. Like, yeah. I, I actually think it's unfair to Ryan Silverfield to expect him to just maintain this level. Um because, or anybody. Not, not yeah, yeah, let's like, field, let's but be, anybody, like, let's you know? be honest. Like, like what like, standard are we gonna hold it? Like, if he goes eight and four next year, is he a failure? Is that, is that, like, to me, like, that's not necessarily like,
0: no, he's not a failure. Yeah, yeah not a, like, not that's, a bad that's, first that's, year. that's that's not fine. A failure, that's fine. That's what Mike you, did his first year to be that's honest. Not yeah, a failure,
2: but when you are introduced and the expectations are divulged that. Twelve and one with a conference championship is kind of the expectation. Like now. like
1: like to me, Memphis foot like if like let's say he goes let's say he's like to me, like the ideal situation here is he's his his floor, if you will, is like seven and five, eight and four, and every two, three years you're competing for a conference title. I think that's realistic. Um I think what we've had here the past you know, under Mike, like I, I just think Going to the conference championship game three straight years is—it's just a, that's tough. It's to this Dude, has been a remark. This hard. has been a remarkable yeah. run, and that's why again I say to just think he's going to continue what Mike Norvell did. I just don't know if that's realistic. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not, but again, the the program is at a place where. It's just much better. It's a much different and better job than it was in 2012 when Justin Fuente got hired, and 2016 when Mike Norvell got hired because of where Justin Fuente and Mike Norvell ended up. And so, it'll it's going to be fascinating what standard Ryan Silverfield is held to as head coach, um, and then what how does his program look different than Mike's? Because like I said, I just don't think like Mike Norvell was a special dude and had a huge role in why this program was so successful. And yes, you wanna take some of you wanna be able to, I guess, copy that, but I just don't think you can copy it without Mike Norvell involved. You have to come up with your own variation, your own you know, your own spin on it, if you will. And that's what I'm curious. And it sounds like during the interview that Ryan Silverfield convinced Laird Veach and convinced the other people on the search committee that that indeed he will be able to do that. We don't know a lot of the specifics yet, other that, you know, he's he's kind of hitting the the keynotes of I know Memphis, I know this program, and I'm the best choice to keep it rolling. And maybe, and like I said, maybe he is. I think there's just he had he had he has just as good a chance of succeeding as any of the other candidates that's did. True. Yeah, and then and that. then again, that's why the support he had came into it. Like I don't believe Laird Veach for a second. Like I believe him that he didn't check social media. I don't believe him for a second that he wasn't aware of the support. That Ryan Silverfield was receiving and that that didn't play a role in this hire. I don't believe that for a second. But oh, I think no. I think to disregard it would have been foolish, to be quite honest. And I don't think they did. Um, I think that put Ryan Silverfield over the top because you couldn't ignore it. Because to hire someone else given the support Ryan Silverfield had in the community and the fan base with the players, with the former players, with the recruits to disregard that you had to feel super confident in someone else. And my sense of the situation was they did not feel super confident in someone else to, you know, to, to basically go against the grain. Um, and, and in the, you know, because basically that means there's st- that means Laird Veach and whoever else made this decision, whether it's David Rudd or the board of trustees, the- all the people involved, they'd be sticking their neck out by hiring someone else other than Ryan Silverfield. Whereas with Ryan Silverfield hired now, I wrote this in my column. Some people took offense to this, but like they have cover now. I mean, like if this doesn't work, no one's just going to blame them. Yeah, everyone's going to look back and go, "Man, we all thought this was going right, to work, right, yeah, and right, right. then it just didn't work." And so. Like I said, Lee even though when you look at his credentials this feels like a risk, he actually when you look at the situation and look at what he's done here and and the support he engendered, actually was the least risky pick yeah, of and, of anyone of anyone during this search.
0: Yeah, and let's be honest too. He also I mean granted, you mentioned he's been the assistant to the assistant, but he does have you know, he's been to the NFL, he's been at several a few colleges, so it's like he doesn't he has the experience where he has this wealth of Various influences versus just say Mike just being a college guy or whatever. So maybe that's in his favor. But like you said, we don't know what he'll be as a full time head coach on a D1 level because he's never been that.
1: But like I said, like I said, what I really admire about him though is there's a lot of, he, this is a guy, he suffered, from what I understand, he suffered a neck injury in high school. And became, started his coaching career at 18 because he couldn't play anymore. He was at the Bulls School in Jacksonville. And then he goes to this small school in Virginia, a small college, Hampton-Sydney, Hampton-Sydney, um, D3 school. And while he's getting his degree, he was a full-time assistant coach for Hampton-Sydney. And then you know and then he bounce he goes to Jacksonville University he go he becomes a head coach of a high school team in Jacksonville at age 23 he he's a he goes to he's a grad assistant at UCF he's a then he's like a analyst uh, with Toledo at one point he was the assistant to the assistant with the Vikings and the Lions in the in the NFL his dues um, have been
2: paid like yeah. and then like yeah. there's
1: a lot of guys like think about compare him to some of these others. Compare him to, like Joe Brady, who at twenty nine just won the Broyles, or Kenny Dillingham, who at twenty seven became the OC at Memphis. Like this guy, there's a lot of guys who are, who who would if they were in Ryan Silverfield's position might have given up because right. he wasn't you know he was doing these just grunt jobs for a long time, longer than some people do them for. Yep. Um, and finally, he gets to Memphis. And, like, like I think that's part of why he loves Memphis so much is it's also the place where professionally he blossomed. And, like, you know, he talks about how he loves the people and whatever. But, like, as so, I, I can relate to it because it's, it's the same feeling I get. Like, I came here and, you know, it's just like I was covering high schools at the Washington Post. I wasn't happy with my career. And then I came here and my career blossomed. And yet, yes, the people are fantastic here. And it's part of why it feels so good when your career blossoms here because the people of Memphis um, are just so nice and so aware uh, and and just so – they take you in, if you will. And I just think that's what's so heartwarming about Ryan's story is is that he didn't give up. He He, he blossomed in Memphis and fell in love with Memphis and Memphis fell in love with him back and it's – I think a significant reason why he got the job, like the, the love affair. And that that's why you just, you, you want this guy to succeed. And I hope he succeeds because it's just a fantastic story about someone who wouldn't give up, who was just himself. I wrote this in a column like Ryan, he, he didn't, he, he was never anyone else, but Ryan Silverfield. And it's, it's, Really encouraging that ultimately that was enough for him to get a job like this to be as the head coach at Memphis at a very good time, right? Yes. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. Like, I- I'm curious, Evan, how much of this current staff, Mike Norvell's staff, do you think Ryan Silverfield will retain?
0: Great question, and I honestly feel like to me, if I had to guess, I would say.
1: Like, beyond, it, it, like he's going to retain them through the Cotton Bowl. Yeah, I'm talking yeah. beyond no, no, the no, Cotton yeah. Bowl for next season. Like, in the same. home opener, in the opener next year. Right. Who is going to be – which of these guys do you think is on his staff?
0: So, my gut says that um, probably he retains Anthony Jones just because he's done great work at the running backs. He's also local, so he can yeah, keep the recruiter, recruiter ties here. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. Tony Tokar is a tight ends coach. He's been here for a while. Maybe he sticks around. It depends
1: Ryan. if Mike wants him. I think Tokars is 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 tied with Mike.
0: That's true. But, I mean, he's but been But it here.
1: depends if Mike – I don't know if Mike wants him as a position coach like he is at Memphis right But, again, now.
0: Tony's also been here as a G, I think, since 17, I believe, or 18 maybe. But he's been mm-hmm. here for a while, so that might work. Um, Johns is tricky because I know Johns has kind of been like the OC helper to My- –
1: Here's what I'm gonna say. My gut says Ryan Silverfield hires uh, I think I think the cotton bowl is something is a little bit of a tryout for Kevin Johns. <laughs> I, I really do. I think that's what it is. Ultimately, and and he's an option. I think, and from what I, people I've talked to, I think Ryan Silverfield is gonna aim he's gonna try to go in a different direction in terms of who he hires as his OC. And I think I think people should look out for Chip Long. I think I think ideally, that's that's the situation Ryan Silverfield wants.
0: So you think so? Chip Long goes from Notre Dame after that peaceful breakup allegedly is going to be uh, Ryan's OC. You think?
1: I don't know. No, I think that's like who you shoot for if you're Ryan Silverfield. I don't. I mean, maybe maybe Chip Long will have better options. Maybe he can go to another Power Five school and be the OC and play caller. I find it hard to. I I. I if I had to guess, I think Chip Long is the OC here next year. But I I agree, I agree with you. I think he wants a better job. But I think it's 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 like basically that's who Ryan Silverfield should shoot for. And you know, let's see what Chip Long ends up with. Um, and then you've got Kevin Johns. As a fallback fallback option, if you if you want him.
0: And with Johns again, like I said, he's been a guy to the guy. He was the OC with Klings, uh, Cliff Kingsbury. I can't say his name. Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury. Kingsbury. I mean, here's what I'll say. Someone he, told
1: me. Someone told me. And I think I think if you put Truth Serum in Johns, I think right like if you're trying to find someone to run Mike Norvell's offense, this is what someone close to the program told me. And you can believe it or not believe it, but this is what they told me. They said. Brady White knows the offense better than Kevin Johns, and it was meant as a compliment to Brady White. But like ultimately, like Kevin Johns, Kevin Johns, this was his. He's basically what nine months, eleven yeah. months into learning Mike Norvell's yeah. offense. I don't know if you, I, you know, I, if you want to run the same offense you were running previously. I don't know, you know. Maybe he's the guy. Maybe not.
0: I mean, John's pretty much said that when he got here, that Brady knows this offense as well as Mike did, so I yeah. think that's a fair statement to make. So yeah. back to your question. So um, T.J. Rushing as a DB coach, I mean, I could see him staying here. I mean, he's got a good relationship with Silverfield. I could see him staying. Um, Simon, John Simon, the wide receivers coach, is a tricky one because I, I I do believe he want he would he would like to stay here, but but I know this. He used to coach running backs, as Jason knows from his Southern Miss days. Um, Mike has not hired the running backs to coach at Florida State. He's hired the wide, he's kept the wide receivers to coach at Florida State. Maybe he reaches out to John Simon and says, "Hey,
1: I think John Simon joined the staff to tag along with Mike Norbell. Yeah. I mean, think I, Mike I think Mike is going to take a couple more guys from the staff. I just think the only reason he took Fuller right away is cuz he felt for recruiting purposes, he needed to be able to tell recruits, here's your OC, here's your DC um at Florida State. But I don't think he's done poaching guys from the staff. I just think he'll wait till after the Cotton Bowl to do it. Yeah. Like <laughs> I think I think Lembo if if Mike calls and asks Lembo to go, he'll go. Um to Florida State, and I expect Mike to call Pete Lembo and and take him take him with him to Florida State.
2: And you may be onto something, Evan, as far as like the running backs coach situation. Although, I, I wonder if John Simon thinks he's sort of been there, done that. Like, you know, I think he's sort of, I think he's over the last few years been trying to diversify his his portfolio if you will um, although he's had very a lot of success he was a running back in college and he had, has had a lot of success coaching I mean two of his guys look, that he coached at Southern Miss are in the NFL look, right look
1: now. at his background he left a power five job to come to Memphis yeah. and I believe he left it because he wasn't feeling good about his trajectory at Arizona State and That's he's right. like let me align myself with Mike Norvell because this guy's probably going to be back in the power five get me yeah. back to the power five. I, yeah. believe, and, and they, I, I believe, I believe, I would be surprised if he's back. It'd be great for Memphis if he's back.
0: Yeah, I would agree. Like, it'd be great to have him here because he did great work with the with the wide receivers. But for what he did this year, I'm sure he probably raised his stock to say, hey, if he wants to follow Mike to Florida State, it would be there. And Limbo, like you said, I do think if he calls Limbo, yeah. I think Limbo would listen. Now, Limbo
1: told me the other day that he had not, he had not spoken to Mike since the night of the AAC championship game. I think Mike is being respectful of the Cotton Bowl. I think I think the Fuller thing was because he felt like he needed to be able, this weekend, to tell his recru- these recruits at Florida State, here's the guy who's going to run my defense. And I, th- But I think he's going to hold off on everyone else.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. That he so ends up hiring. Yeah, and obviously Lembo's proven himself the last year as a special teams coordinator. He's one of the best in the country. Now,
1: Lembo's a guy,
0: if I'm Memphis...
1: I think about throwing some money at him because that's a guy who's a former head coach. I wouldn't mind having him, having him as the associate head coach to advise Silverfield. I, I I don't know if it'd be enough, just throwing a bunch of money at him, if that would be enough. But I know he, I know he told his family that he, they were, they were hoping for some stability. His kid, his kid plays on the Houston football team, I would see if you can try and keep him because I think he could be a really nice resource for Ryan Silverfield.
0: Yeah, I agree there. So, and then looking at the rest of the staff, I think Tim Edwards, the D line coach, you know, he could he could stick around. He's you know, this is a good place for him. I think, I think,
1: I think the defensive guys. To be honest with you, it depends on who Ryan Silverfield hires as his defensive coordinator. Um, Like whether they want that person, like Adam Fuller. Didn't really care about bringing in his own guys. Like the whole defensive staff this year were not none of the position coaches Fuller had ever worked with before. Right. Right. And so I think it just depends who Ryan Silverfield hires as his defensive coordinator, which is a really important hire, and whether that guy want how many of the how many that guy how many guys does that guy want to bring with him. Yeah, that's going to really determine which of these defensive guys are retained. I, I agree. Say. And there's
0: there's one more person I want to mention who I think will be really critical to see whether he stays or goes. And I have a feeling he might go. Um, Josh Storms, a strength and conditioning coach, he's been with yeah. Mike since he was at Arizona State. He basically had Mike's trust here, running the summer program. He was a huge cog in how everything went. You know, when I did that story on him, basically he told me this summer that Mike trusts him so much. That it's like this is what we want to do. You do it. I let him go. I think keep an eye on him because if he goes to Florida State and FSU Twitter's already been like in my mentions try to be like, is he coming? Is he coming? Um, I think that'd be key because that would be a key position that Ryan has to fill.
1: Oh yeah, those strength and conditioning positions are um are vital. I mean, they just are. Yeah. And they're they're as important as any coach that a that a head coach has. So yes, yeah. that'll be definitely something and they're paid. Increasingly paid like that, yeah. Um, it'll be something to monitor. That's that's the thing I'm interested in. Silverfield's contract because I don't think he's going to make as much as Mike did. I would. My guess is he'll start out where Mike started out. Under two, under two. You think? Yeah, like one point eight, something like that. He'll he'll. If I was Memphis, I would give him the whatever deal they gave Mike to start out with. That's the deal I would give Ryan Silverfield. But it'll be interesting. I I think. I if I'm Memphis and I'm trying to set up Ryan Silverfield to succeed, I'm giving I'm giving I'm increasing the salary pool for assistant coaches. Yeah, you know, whatever money like in my opinion, whatever money you save in terms of the difference in salary between Ryan Silverfield and Mike Norvell, I would reinvest that into Ryan Silverfield's assistant salary pool. If you, because you know, I think that is going to set him who the caliber of offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator he hires. Because he's not going to call the plays. It appears mm-hmm. like Mike did. I mean, guys like Silverfield, like these these promotions from within, where they're really good at recruiting. They're really good at get, you know leading if you will and that's what we assume ryan will be good at like the ed orgerons the um Dabo sweeney's of the world like those guys are successful yes because they are special as the faces of the program but it's also because the programs they work for invest heavily in staff facilities resources um like look at lsu they got joe brady this year um and they're going to pay a lot to retain him and now they're in the national that's what got him over the top um like it's not like Ed Orgeron changed from year to year that much it's that the staff around him got better when Clemson got really good they added Chad Morris and um Brent Venables and they're both paid very very well and again that's not to say like Memphis is going to go to the national championship game. Unfortunately, the way the system's set up, that's not possible. But if you want to continue to reach the heights that you did this year, that's what I think. That's that's the way Ryan Silverfield is going to be successful, um, is investment in the people around him um, so that his strengths can really shine. So it'll be fascinating. And then, oh, by the way, there's a really big football game. Um, I it's so funny with these bowl games. It almost feel it doesn't uh, hiring hiring Ryan made it less anti. Like it felt like last week when Ryan was the interim head coach, it, was, it just felt like the Cotton Bowl just felt so anticlimactic, even though it was like this just fantastic bowl game that Memphis is going to. But now it feels he it, it, it added some momentum to it by hiring Ryan, and this is his first chance. As the head, you know, to kind of show Memphis fans this is what a Ryan Silverfield team is going to look like. And that's not to say I don't think he should be judged on this game. Like, if they lose, I don't think it means, oh no, why do they hire Ryan? And if he wins, it doesn't mean, oh my, he's going to be super successful. I think, you know, bowl games are just kind of strange, one off entities, if you will. I mean, I mean,
2: yeah, it's hard to. It's hard now I to, will say, like, if that.
1: they don't look good and they and Penn State just blows them out again, I don't think it means Ryan Silverfield is a bad head coach. I do think it takes a lot of the momentum and takes a little bit of the wind out of your sails, if you will, going into the off season. Um, but yeah. what do you? So Evan, I, I'm curious. You've you've looked a little bit at Penn State. Um, what do you make of this matchup in the Cotton Bowl? Like, do you do you think Memphis can win this game? <laughs> Like, no, I'm not saying you're, this is your prediction. Yeah, 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 like, yeah. Can you envision a scenario where Memphis wins this game?
0: I mean, my gut is telling me the way they played against Cincinnati and how physical they were up front, there's a chance that they could, they've they handled teams like that and they know how to basically find a way. Like as I wrote in my film study, if they use Antonio Gibson more in the run game, he's physical enough where he can absorb those hits and get more yards and say Kenny well. Um, I'm just concerned. I mean, we talked about it. Big Ten boys up front are big. Um, this Penn State defense looks really good. The, the AP All-American team just came out today. Uh, Micah Parsons, their sophomore linebacker, is a first-team selection. Um, so it's it's a team that...
1: Their front seven is really good. Yeah. Um, and this is going to be the biggest challenge for Literally Memphis's speaking. offensive line. <laughs> I think both lines have a big-time test. Ahead of them. Um, and so, because I think their their past defense was 11th in the Big Ten and 77th in the country. If you can give Brady White some time, DeMonte Coxie, Antonio Gibson, if Joey any, Magnifico yeah. plays, he looks like he's hurt right now. Um, he was walking around on crutches. But, yeah, Kadarian Jones, Like I think they can make some plays in the passing game. If Brady White has time to make them. Um, And then defensively, um, it's another. We saw what, um, like Sean Clifford, Penn State's quarterback, can move. Uh, He's not quite, he's probably not the runner. um, What was Cincinnati's guy's name? Desmond Ritter. Yeah, he's not probably quite the runner like Desmond Ritter, but he's similar. Yeah. Um, and we saw Memphis had some trouble containing Desmond Ritter in the AAC championship game, and then they've got this playmaker in KJ Hamler, who they line up all over the field trying to get. They try to get him. It'll be interesting to see how Memphis's defense decides to match up with him. Whether they'll have someone shadow KJ Hamler, or whether um, or whether they'll, you know, because he, he moves all they move. He's a little guy, but they move him all over the field to try and get him the ball in space because he's really dynamic when he gets the ball in his hands. Um, and if it, it, generally speaking this year, if you've been able to contain KJ Hamler, you've been able to contain that Penn State offense. Um, It's not that great of an offense. It really isn't. Um, And so...
0: Mark, let me ask you this. mm -hmm. Does it help Memphis that they've had to practice against someone like Kenny Gainwell? Does it help them dealing with somebody like him who's going to be all over the field?
1: I guess. He's a little different than Kenny. Like, Kenny's more... You know, this guy is like... I would compare him, this guy, to like a Tavon Austin type of guy. Um, Like... He's just a big play waiting to happen. And Kenny, Kenny is to a certain extent, um, but this guy's smaller. Than, I, I want to. I don't know what he's they're listed at. Five
0: nine listed. Yeah, yeah. Like he's, What's his listed position. Wide receiver. Wide receiver. Okay. He's
1: generally a receiver, but they will literally give him the ball. Like they, they'll run him out of the Wildcat occasionally. They'll give him the ball. They'll pitch it to him. They'll you know they they move him around in order to get him the ball where wherever. They they want the ball in his hands hands as much as possible, um, and so that that's going to be the matchup to watch. How how not how does Memphis ultimately decide to defend him? Yeah. Um, especially no TJ Carter, um, and I'm not su- I'm just not sure. Is it like Leon- like to me it feels like you know Clay Brooks maybe he's your fastest guy. Yeah. Maybe he, you know, but are you, do you have him shadow KJ Hamler all around the field? I don't know if Clay Brooks is that versatile in terms of it'll be a question for yeah. the coaches. And you know,
0: honestly, like you may you might need him to be your top corner because of TJ Carter being out. So that's gonna be a tough matchup there. So. Yeah,
1: so it'll it'll it's gonna be a very interesting matchup. It it's funny. I'm I'm curious. I think there's interest in it here in Memphis. My brother went to Penn State. I don't sense there's a lot of interest in this game from Penn State fans. Um, I'm curious what the atmosphere is going to be like in Dallas. Um, I think plenty of Memphis fans will be down there. But like I was talking to my brother. I was like, are you going to go? He goes, nah, I don't really care about this game. And I, and I don't sense a lot of Penn State fans care about it either.
2: Um, yeah, I mean that's that's generally the way. Like they care the about it, it but not like
1: enough to like it's, – yeah. it's not a huge deal. To the Penn State fan base, it feels like. Yeah,
2: out. I remember I covered the Independence Bowl a couple of years ago when Southern Miss and Florida State played each other. When Florida State, um, infamously, uh, barely got, became bowl eligible because they rescheduled a game because of a hurricane situation, and um, had to win, had to win that last game to get in. And it was it was very it was, I don't I don't want to say apathetic. Uh, on the part of the Florida State fan base, but they it was similar to that. It was close to that. And I get I I'm sure that's kind of uh, how I'm sure that's how Penn State's uh fan base is, is looking at this. I would bet. Yeah. Despite despite the twelve and one record. What? Despite the I mean this is a good matchup. It's a it's I yeah. mean, but, yeah. but, I but think- Penn State is spoiled. I mean, you know
1: Well this is j I mean honestly it's generally how it is and the, the whatever New Year's Six Bowl, the group of five goes to the other team. Yeah, It's, you know, a, like it feels, for them, it feels like a letdown. Right, right. right. Um, beat them, yeah. And, like, honestly, UCF two years ago went and won because, you know, partly, maybe partly because of that. But, like, honestly, like, if Memphis won this game, I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't care. I wouldn't give two s's whether Penn State cared about (laughs) it or not I'd be like yeah yeah, we beat you and that's all that matters as I said last week I hate Penn State so I would love nothing more (laughs) than for Memphis to win this game um and it would be a monument like it would be a monumental win for the program I mean like there's the Tennessee win over Peyton Manning there's the Alabama win in Bear Bryant's last game I think beating Penn State in the Cotton Bowl I don't know if it would be better or better. It would certainly be on par with either of those how two about, wins. How
0: about this? If they win, we actually have three candidates for, like, best game in Memphis history, or bet one of the best ones in Memphis history. We have the SMU, win given everything, the AAC championship, and if they win this, that's three candidates in one season. Well, and there's
1: just no doubt it would just give Ryan Silverfield a ton of momentum. Going into his first season as the head coach, if he went out and beat Penn State, that'd be huge for him. Um, before we go, Evan, give people so early signing day is when starts Wednesday or it is Wednesday. It's the early signing period. But period, yeah. Most people will sign Wednesday, and it was obviously part of you know it was part of the reasoning to hire Ryan Silverfield is he can keep this class together, this 2020 recruiting class. So give people a say. From what I understand, it's fifth in the AAC, but it's actually currently ranked higher than last year's class. Yeah.
0: So last year's class was ranked 67th nationally. This year's class is 62nd, which would still be one of the highest. The average recruit rating is actually the highest Memphis will have in the 247 era. So this class is looking like a small group. Um, There's going to be about 13 people who are committed right now. I know if you go to 247, it says 14. They haven't taken away. Um, one of the players who is transferred out after enrolling early. So there are 13 commits in this class. Um, a couple of names that are interesting to me, Condarius um, Taylor, wide receiver who went to uh Copio Lincoln community college in Mississippi, but better known here. He went to Ridgeway. He was a great standout. He was committed to Oklahoma. Um, went Juco. I've heard people tell me that this guy could be one of the best receivers the minute he steps on the field in the AAC. Now, the only thing is, in some of his photos from his official visit, he looks like he has a bit of a knee brace. He's been on crutches, so we'll see how healthy he is and if he's available for the spring or the fall. But he's probably the number one guy in this class to keep an eye on. Um, Another local guy in this class, Kalen Granberry, went to Jones County Junior College. Um, went to Riley Egypt, was a great standout there, was a JUCO All-American last year, had another good year this year. He'll add some more depth in the running back room. Um, Devontae Nelson from MUS, great DB. Uh, obviously, everyone knows what great players MUS has, so he's somebody who could be in the mix. So, overall, I expect, you know, it's going to be a small class, but it'll be a class that's really built on getting wide receivers and getting more depth at DB, um, because Memphis has a lot of players coming back next year. So this class is really going to be more of just getting guys in who can add more depth. I think the biggest part of this class are guys who already enrolled early and will count towards you know twenty twenty eventually. Um, guys like um, Asa Martin, who was the mm-hmm. four star guy who went to Auburn, transferred to Miami, came here, was a scout team uh, player of the year at the team awards banquet.
1: Yeah, what were the uh, before, before? What were the awards at the banquet? Who won what?
0: Sure, I'll I'll, put that, I'll pull that up right here um, as I talk about Asa Martin a little bit more. Um, one coach told me, "Game changer." He's a guy who can come in. Instantly and be a instant contributor. Um, as for the awards last or Sunday night as we are recording this, we had the player of the year, the D'Angelo Williams player of the year, was Brady White. Okay. Um, the offensive players of the year were Kenny Gainwell and, got it right here, DeMonte Coxie. Okay. Defensive player of the year was Austin Hall. Special teams player of the year was co shared by Antonio Gibson and Riley Patterson. Um, most improved players of the year, offense, Antonio Gibson, defense, Sanchez Blake. The true Tiger award, the players who embody what it means to be a Tiger the most, Patrick Taylor and Dustin Woodard.
1: Okay.
0: Um, scout team players of the year, Asa Martin was offense player of the year. Cade Mashburn, who was one of the top freshmen in this last year's class, he was co player of the year with Kendall Johnson. Uh, Jalen Sims was special teams scout player of the year. And I believe that is it. So, good year for Memphis. They presented game balls to Joey Magnifico for breaking the tight end, receiving yards record. Game will for his 200-100 game. Do we think – to me, I was
1: looking through the roster. The only person I could think who might leave early for the NFL was Coxy. Do you think he's coming back, or what would you say?
0: My gut is I don't think so, only because – this this year's group of wide receivers are so deep and so good that if he were to come out, he'd have to really impress people at the combines and his pro day. Um, I just think it's a really deep, top-heavy class where.
1: So you think Coxy is back
0: next year? I, I would say right year. now Coxie is back. Um, okay. Now a question for you: Do you think Brady White is back?
1: That's an interesting question because I've heard I've heard one. He's not going to Florida State. I don't think that's going to happen. I think if he doesn't come back, it's not to go to another college. It's to begin the next chapter in his life in terms of, I think he wants to play professionally. And the question I think he's asking himself is, Mike Norvell's not here. If I come back, am I really going to have a better year than this year? This is me speculating, by the way, um, just based on what I've heard in terms of, what he's he might not come like he might not come back, but I think it's because can he really have a better year than this year? I mean, maybe, yes, but he's going to be you know, with a new coach for the first time in terms of a new coordinator, if you will, a new play caller, if you will. Um, and so I think that's the question he's got to ask himself because he's already got his college degree, he's already got a master's degree, like this, you know. He, like, but like, I guess he's thinking of it in terms of, can I elevate my stock, or is it what it is? And I would say, my gut tells me his stock is what it is at this point. Um, and and him coming back would be coming back to win a championship and try to go undefeated. But so that's 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 what I think he's considering. So I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say I would lean towards yes now that they hired Ryan Silverfield um, um, because I do think that would be a significant setback for Ryan Silverfield if he doesn't have Brady White for this first year because, I, as someone who watched a bunch of practices, you can probably uh, you know, attest to this too. the The next starting quarterback does not appear to be on the roster right now, um, and so. Uh, if if Brady White could give Ryan Silverfield a cushion here, are there any quarterbacks in this class?
0: There are actually, and that's actually yeah. the second the second highest recruit in this group is Keelan Brown from Zachary High School in Louisiana. He's the number twenty three yeah. dual threat quarterback. He's five eleven. He's people told me he's very dynamic, so could be a chance. But again, it takes again if this was Norvell's office, obviously he wouldn't be the guy because it takes a year to really kind of learn this. But
1: so that'll be an interesting storyline to follow, particularly after. The Cotton Bowl. Yeah. So, um, really, t- just tons of stuff going on with this Memphis football program. So, new coach got signing day on Wednesday and then the Cotton Bowl on December 28th down in Dallas. Um, At Jerry World. Evan and I will be there, um, and uh, we will have tons of coverage leading into the game, during the game during signing day after the game, just anything you could ever want to read about Memphis football. It'll be at commercial Um, This will probably be our last podcast till the cotton bowl because uh, both Evan and I are going away for Christmas and I'm sorry. I just don't want to podcast while I'm gone <laughs> over Christmas. Um, but make sure you uh, stay tuned to com, And we will certainly be back on here after the cotton bowl to wrap everything up and, and look ahead to uh, an exciting off-season for this program. So uh, till next time, I was Mark. I was joined by Evan and Jason. Thank you so much, and uh, have a happy holiday season.
0: A new episode of the Tiger Football Podcast posts each Tuesday during the regular season. You can
2: also subscribe to the show for free on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. I'm Sean King.
0: The Tiger Football Podcast is a production of the Commercial Appeal. At Jewelers Mutual, we're a little obsessed with jewelry. Obsessed like auctioneers with Talking Fast, pop stars with Auto-Tune, and dentists with asking
2: questions
1: after they've put their hands in your mouth. Great. Yes, we've
0: made jewelry our obsession for over 100 years. We love it so much, we named our kids Ruby, Amber, and Opal. At Jewelers Mutual, we ensure jewelry and only jewelry, which is why people who are also obsessed with jewelry trust us with theirs.